can turn to page 8 of the bulletin. Uh, We're going to start a new series today uh, in the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul. You can find it in the back of your Bibles in the New Testament. Um, You can also see the the passage printed in our bulletin. Um, But as we start this series, I want you to think about uh, what brings you joy. And I I realize even saying that in a church setting, that may feel like a very churchy question because you know where I'm going with that. But like, just be honest with yourself for a moment. What, what, like, what are the day in and day out things in your life that really bring you joy? Um, sometimes we think about joy as like joyful moments or fun times. Uh, just really memorable things that happen that we enjoy. Sometimes we think about it as like joyful people. Um, someone who's very cheery or kind of life of the party. Just really fun to be around. We associate joy with a person. Um, But those ideas can come up short when life is really hard. And maybe 2021 was a really difficult year for you. It's one that you were just ready to close the books on. And maybe even entering into this next year, it it already feels like this might be tough this year as well. What about joy when life is hard? Uh, Paul is going to speak into that in this letter. And he's going to, just in this introduction today, he's going to help us to learn where to find joy. So let me read our passage for us. This is the very beginning, first 11 verses of the book of Philippians. Beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. God, we pray that you would meet us now. I pray that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock. And our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I wonder if you um, have phases uh, or things that you really get into for certain periods of time in your life. Um, Christmas uh, can sort of spur this on for you. Maybe all of your gifts this year revolved around like a certain phase that you're in right now. Maybe it's like a major dude perfect phase where you want all things dude perfect. So all your Christmas gifts were related to that. Uh, Maybe it's uh, athleisure clothing. Um, maybe that's your thing. And so that, that was all the gifts this year. Uh, Nintendo Switch or American Girl dolls or Squishmallows. Um, I've had a few phases in my life. Um, in middle school, I had a big rollerblading phase. And my precious mother could tell you all about that phase. Um, I had an outdoorsy phase where I was really into like hiking and backpacking and fishing and like everything related to the outdoors. 
I had a triathlon phase. I had a home building phase, which was connected to my first job. Um, got handy for a time, and then that phase was gone, uh, much to Aaron's chagrin. I've had a running phase. I'm still in the running phase. Um, I had one year, uh, just to be vulnerable with you all, uh, that I really got into sandwiches. And like really cr- like well-made craft sandwiches. And so this was when I was still on social media, and I, and I declared a, a year to be the year of the sandwich. And so every time I would post a picture of a great sandwich, it was hashtag the year of the sandwich. I don't know if those posts still exist out there. But um, one of the things that I've noticed about myself when I go through a specific phase is that I get like totally dialed into it. And it's all that I think about and I talk about it and I want to tell other people about it. Um, a guy that I used to work with said, he's, he's like, Jonathan, you're kind of a hype man with, with, with whatever you get into. It becomes like the main thing that you always talk about. Um, in our passage, Paul is a hype man about the Philippian church. You may even sense that with some of the words that he uses to describe his affection for how joyful he is and how much he loves them and how much he longs for them and yearns for them. Um, It almost feels like a grandparent uh, writing a letter or talking about a grandchild where he's just oozing with affection for this church. And that's meant to be felt in this introduction because that's going to help us understand what's going on in the Philippian church. But why is he oozing? Why is there so much joy? He's discovered a real joy that is greater than their circumstances, and he can't help but tell the Philippians all about it. And their relationship with him that we're going to see in this passage is actually a great source of joy for him. Um, He is writing this letter from prison. He's on house arrest when he's writing this, which you never know based on his tone. Um, But the main source of Paul's joy that we're going to see in our passage today is the good news that God is at work. God is at work. That's the main thing that Paul is excited about. And for us, as we start a new year with this new church in the early days of this new community, I want to apply this passage, which is this big international Apostle Paul Philippian church passage uh, in a very specific local context for us. And I want us to see that this passage tells us that God is is at work in our neighborhoods and in you. That's how I want to think about this passage. So first, I want us to see that God is at work in our neighborhoods. All right, how do we see this? Look at verse 1 again. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Okay, so Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He makes special mention of the overseers and deacons, these church leaders. This church was special to him because it was the first church that he planted in Europe. First church that he planted in Europe. If you were with us in the fall, we went through the book of Acts and um, we saw Paul doing, going on all, all these missionary journeys. And um, he would share the gospel. People would be converted and they would gather together. A new church would form. It's all about the formation of the new church. One of those passages we looked at was the conversion of a woman named Lydia, where Paul gets into a conversation with this group of women who are praying together. Lydia is converted. Okay, Lydia, this happened in Philippi. And then Paul and Silas end up going to jail after that. And there's this um, big occasion that happens in jail. And the Philippian jailer is converted. You may remember that passage if you were with us. But God uses these events, the conversation with Lydia, the conversion of the Philippian jailer, to convert people and to start a new church in Philippi. 
And that's who he's writing to. And you see this throughout Paul's ministry where God is at work in these regions surrounding Paul. And maybe it was through some like really strategic mission plan that he had. Or through what seems like a random conversation that he had with one person where they were converted. Another person was converted and this little small group started and now all of a sudden you have a church. But you see God at work in these re- regions around Paul. Um, what is his involvement when God is at work in the surrounding areas? Two ways you see Paul involved in God's work in the surrounding areas. It's through prayer and through partnership. And we see that with the Philippian church. First through prayer. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you. All making my prayer with joy. Um, so he maintains a relationship with this church in Philippi by praying for them. Uh, he is participating in the work that God is doing uh, while he's in house arrest in Rome. How's he doing it? By prayer. Um, he's going directly to God on behalf of this church. And I don't know how that hits you. Again, that could feel like a very churchy thing to pray for a church plan. Sometimes we just say like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'll be praying for you or excited about your new ministry. I'll be praying for that. Uh, we can sort of use it as a kind of a Christian filler statement. Um, but God is the one who does the work. And he's the one that we should be talking to about his work. Have you ever had a frustrating customer service call? Maybe a few. Um, whether it's with the cable company or not to you know, throw shade at a cable company. Uh, but whatever it might be, um, I think what makes those conversations most frustrating is when you're talking to someone who works for a company but yet has no power to make a decision or to make any changes at all. So they're like connected to the company, but they can't really help you. And it actually puts them in a bind too because you're first frustrated, they're frustrated. Sometimes those calls are productive. And those calls are productive and encouraging when you actually talk to someone who has the power to make decisions and make things happen. Because it gives you the glimmer of hope that they hear you and they understand your dilemma and they're treating you like a human and they can actually do something about it. All right, think about Paul's situation. When he is stuck in prison, stuck on house arrest, he is praying. Who is he praying to? He is praying to the one who has the power to do real work in the Philippian church. It's the one who sees, the one who hears, uh, the one who understands, the one who is willing, the one who is able to help. And Paul understood that. The Apostle Paul, the guy that like wrote lots of the Bible, the church planter extraordinaire, is sitting in prison doing the most important work for the church at Philippi. He's praying. Why is it so important? Because God is the one who's at work. All right, think about us as a new church, not even a year old yet. What are your dreams for this church? What are your dreams for this church? If you removed all constraints from your mind about what seems possible for God to do at resurrection, um, what would you ask God for? Like big, wild, dream-like prayers. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians at the end, he says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, than all we can ask or imagine. Um, And what Paul is saying there is that sometimes we ask way too small things of God. So if you were to remove all constraints, what would be like your monster dream prayer for this church in this new year? We're actually going to give you all an opportunity to 
share those things um, via email and submit them. And we're going to compile them anonymously so we can have a list of like really big things that we're all dreaming about and praying for as a church throughout this next year. Um, And we want to do that because God is the one who's at work. And we want to talk to him directly about what our dreams are for this new church community. And so Paul here is praying passionately. He's praying big prayers for the church in Philippi. So he joins the work of God through prayer. But there's another aspect. It's through partnership. Through partnership. All right. Remember, there's the major theme of joy in this letter. What does Paul say he's rejoicing about and giving thanks to God about? Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Go down to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. The effect, how I yearn for you all the affection of Christ Jesus. All right, what does this partnership look like? Okay, the word partnership, it just means that they're participating together in ministry. So even while Paul is in prison, which, by the way, would have been a great source of shame uh, in this ancient world, they remain partners. And we're going to see later in the letter that this partnership for them, it means friendship, it means encouragement, and it means sharing resources. But there's this very clear intentional language of the Apostle Paul and this church of Philippi being partners. All right, back in uh, 2016, I went to Chicago to do the Chicago Marathon. It's one of the biggest marathons in the United States. And it's an amazing race. that You'll see lots of professional runners come in and do it. It's a fascinating thing. You get to see all the coolest parts of the city of Chicago. Um, what stood out to me the most in that race was the number of blind marathon runners. Uh, There were visually impaired runners uh, who were running this race. And you would know they were visually impaired because they were physically tethered together to a runner who who was seeing, who was able to see. And there were were lots of them doing this race. And it was the most amazing thing to see. Running a marathon is hard enough. But to do it while you're visually impaired, because it's not just the race itself. It's all the training. There's actually an organization called, I think it's called United in Stride, that is sort of like a matchmaker for visually impaired runners and seeing runners. Because you have to think about how are they going to train? Well, they have to be in the same city. They have to be the same pace. They have to like have the same schedule to be together to train for all, all those miles, as many, many hundreds of miles together. Um, one of the things that's interesting, I was reading some firsthand accounts of both uh, visually impaired runners and seeing runners who partner with them. Um, just reading about the partnership. And of course, the visually impaired run- runners think it's the greatest thing ever because it allows them to fulfill their dream of doing the sport they love, like, to continue running. But what was interesting, it was equally impactful to those seeing runners who were now basically saying, I get to share my love of the sport of running with someone who without me would be unable to do it. And they've actually blessed me and benefited me through this partnership. So it's like this true partnership where each person brings something different to the situation and makes the whole thing better. All right, think about this partnership between Paul and the Philippian church. It's a partnership that goes both ways. What did Paul do? Paul planted this church. And now there's these overseers and deacons, these new leaders leading this church. By the way, our church is going to go through that whole process in the next year and a half. So there's new leadership leading this church. Paul is away. They have different gifts, 
different abilities, yet they're using these different gifts and abilities to share as partners in the gospel going out. And as a new church in this part of town, we need ministry partners. I hope you hear us saying that we don't think we can do this all on our own, but we need to partner with others in the surrounding neighborhoods. God was at work in this area before resurrection was planted, and he will continue to be at work through other churches and other ministries in these neighborhoods. Our vision statement that you hear me say every week is to see every person in every surrounding neighborhood gathered together around the good news of Jesus Christ and made new in him. A uh, vision statement is a, it's like a destination. It's someplace where you want to end up. And uh, obviously, to see every person in every surrounding neighborhood, we're not going to see that happen until Jesus comes back and makes all things new again, right? So there's no way to think that we could, as a small little churchman, accomplish that all on our own. And so part of what's encompassed in that vision statement is that we would have ministry partners in our surrounding neighborhoods. Other churches, other ministries, bringing the gospel to people that are that we're not reaching, that they're reaching. Um, we need partners. We need New Spring. We need Horizon Church. Uh, we need real life church who meets in this space in the mornings on Sundays. Uh, we need Village Presbyterian Church. Uh, we need the 12 plus neighborhood churches in the Nicoltown neighborhood. Uh, we need ministries like Elios and Reach. And young life in all these schools around us. Um, And we want to keep asking God for more church plants and for more new ministries in the greater 29607 area. We only need more ministry partners. Um, Resurrection is one just teeny tiny piece of how God is at work in this area. We want to see lots of other churches and ministries at work in these neighborhoods because all these different partners have different gifts And different strengths reaching different people. So Paul planted, he prayed, he wrote letters, and he's offering this unique partnership to this church plant. And they're doing the same for him through this friendship and encouragement and financial support. And I wonder if you think about where you live, do you have eyes to see how God might be at work in your neighborhood? I wonder what God is doing in your neighborhood. So we see God at work in these surrounding regions around Paul. And we can say that God is at work in our neighborhoods. But even more personally, second thing I want us to see, God is at work in you. God is at work in you. Um, Another reason for Paul's joy was the fact that God was at work in the real, actual people in this church at Philippi. Lydia, the Philippian jailer, their families, their friends, their networks. God was really at work. And we can look at what Paul says about God's work uh, in them and understand about how he's at work in us. And the first thing we see is this about God's work, that his work in us is guaranteed. God's work in us is guaranteed. Look at verse six. It says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul says this to to the Philippians, and this is true for us today. Um, God started this work in us by drawing us to himself. I want you to think about the first time you believed where there was something that happened within you where you realized I'm not who I used to be. I really believe in Jesus. He really is my savior. I really do want to give my life to him. Think about that moment. That's the start of God's work in you. 
And it says here that he's going to complete that thing that he started in you. Uh, That the outcome of your full maturity as a follower of Jesus is actually guaranteed. And we need to remind ourselves of this over and over again because our growth is so slow and messy and at different paces from people around us. Uh, At my grandmother's house growing up, uh, she she had a door jam where she would mark the heights of all of her kids growing up. And so we get to see our aunts and uncles and parents, you know, at, you know, nine years old, ten years old, we get to see how tall they were. And so for all the cousins, she started marking us on there, too. And so we would run over and we would want to see, like, all right, who's taller? And we would start competing against our aunts and uncles when they were our age and then one another. But it actually became this, um, this competition as to who could grow the fastest. We would, like, look to the door jam to try to compare ourselves to see who was winning the growing competition. All right, if Philippians is a letter about joy, one of the quickest ways to lose your joy is by constantly comparing yourself to those around you. Um, The sense of pride and competition that is so deeply ingrained in our nature um, that we, we take this pride and competition, we begin to like, it begins to seep into our relationship with Jesus and our maturity in Christ. And we begin to compare and compete against other Christians with how they're doing, how we're doing. Um, Some examples. Maybe um, you are someone who's really disciplined in your Bible reading and prayer time. And so whatever the schedule is that you've set up for yourself, um, you're really disciplined and good at doing that. And so that kind of becomes like the litmus test for you of like who's really spiritual and who's not like do they read their bible and pray as much as i do we become competitive and we start comparing ourselves or you feel a lot of shame about that thing maybe you're not very disciplined in that area and you see so and so who's you know read the whole bible six times last year and you're like how can i compete with that Uh, maybe it's an area of how you handle finances where that's your thing and, and it's very spiritual thing and and you figured it out and others haven't or vice versa you feel shame about that area and you feel like others have figured that out we're constantly comparing and competing Um, but we can sort of fall into this um, mistake of like marking our maturity in Christ on the door jam and then looking to others to see where they're at in these certain areas Um, but here's a question for us to wrestle through as a new church community Um, What will it look like for us to live together in community with people who are in very real specific ways, both more mature than us and in very real specific ways, less mature than us? Said differently, how can we live life together with people who are at different places in the process of growing in their faith? Because that's where the rub of Christian community really comes in. What will that look like for us as a church? Maybe more personally with this idea in verse six. I want you to think about an area of your life that is discouraging to you. Um, I'm guessing part of the reason that it is discouraging to you is that maybe you know others around you or you think you know others around you who are not struggling in this particular area or have experienced some type of victory or growth in this area. But for some reason you are struggling. And so you feel a lot of discouragement in this particular area. Maybe it's anger or an addiction or uh, lust or some area of self-control in your life. Whatever that place is where you feel the most shame about not being better, think about that area. Here's what verse 6 is saying to you. As impossible as it may sound to you right now, God guarantees that you will one day win that battle. 
that in that particular area that you feel so much shame, so much not enoughness about, God is guaranteeing that that work that he started, he will bring it to completion for good. And in this life, you may not see that fully realized. You may just get little tastes of victory, little seasons of victory. It may be a struggle until your dying day. But he is saying that at the day of Christ Jesus, for sure, you will win the battle in that particular area because of the resurrection of Jesus. What is that area for you that you just feel guilt-ridden and shame-ridden? God is at work in that particular area, and he is guaranteed victory for you there. So his work is guaranteed. Secondly, his work in us is specific. It's specific. Look at verses 9 through 11. This gets into what he's praying for. He said, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so you may approve what is excellent and be so pure, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So after he tells them that God's work in them is guaranteed, he then gives them specific ways in which they can participate in this work. By growing in their love, that they would love each other more and more. By the way, what a great prayer for a church plant, that we would love each other more and more. What if the main thing we were known for as a new church is how well we loved each other and loved others? What a beautiful thing to aspire towards. We can pray for that for another. That's how Paul is praying for the Philippians. And he prays that this love, this is interesting how he qualifies it. Look at the passage there. That it would be filled with knowledge and discernment. So it's not just love, but it's love that's filled with knowledge and discernment. Scripture always holds love and truth together. And in Ephesians, Paul talks about specifically that they would speak the truth in love. Uh, It's been said that um, truth without love is not truth. And love without truth is not love. The scripture always holds love and truth together. And his prayer for this church is that their love would abound with knowledge and all discernment. And that there would be truth and wisdom guiding and shaping how they love each other. Why? He says so that they can approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Okay, he's not saying that so that they would be the perfect church. But he's describing this process of maturing in Christ. And he's, he's saying that they're loving each other, real practical love for each other with knowledge and discernment, good, wise love for each other is actually going to be the process that's going to move them towards greater maturity in Christ as a community. That's going to collectively grow them. So God's work in us is guaranteed, and he gives us specific ways to participate. I wonder if you made a New Year's resolution this year. A lot of times they revolve around being like healthier or exercising more. Um, but when you set a goal, you have like the big picture goal, and then you try to think practically, like, all right, day to day, what are the specific things I'm going to do to achieve this big goal? For instance, if it's a health-related goal, maybe there's a cardio component where you're going to walk, get out and walk more a couple times a week. Maybe there's a strength component where you're going to try to you know, lift some weights or go to the gym once or twice a week. Maybe there's a food or a diet component where you're going to try to eat certain foods, avoid others. But you can think about the, the walking and the dumbbells and eating kale as like these little specific things that you can do as you think about this overarching goal, this greater work that's happening. There are little specific ways that you enter in to that goal. Um, what would it look like for you to participate in the work, the big work that God is doing in your life? 
What are doable, um, specific ways in which you can embrace the fact of verse 6 that God is at work in me, making me new. He will bring it to completion. And He has given me the opportunity to participate in real specific ways in His work in my life. What would that look like for you? Um, for the Philippian church, it was greater love for one another. So Paul was praying that this church um, would love each other better. So they could hear that and say, okay, Paul's praying this for us. All right, church, what's this going to look like for us to, to do what Paul's saying and to grow specifically and practically in our love for each other? I wonder what the specific things are for you. Um, maybe it's related to something here at, at Resurrection. If you're in and committed and um, this is your church home, maybe it's um, committing to be in worship every Sunday you're in town. Maybe that's the next step for you where you know yourself. You think, all right, if I can just be present when I'm in town, that's going to be a big step for me. Maybe that's a practical step for you to participate in God's work. Maybe it's joining a neighborhood group where you know those things, those neighborhood groups are out there. You know they meet every week. You've heard they're great. You haven't taken a step. Maybe that's the next practical step for you. Uh, Maybe it's um, maybe, you know, some people, but not others. You want to get to know more people. And so it's thinking about one person you don't know very well. And trying to connect with them, just one person a month this year. Um, what are some, maybe some specific things for you? All right, think about in just in your own personal life. How could you participate in the work that God is doing? Uh, maybe it's growing in your love for God and His Word uh, by finding a, a Bible reading plan that could help walk you through the Bible this year. Maybe something you haven't done before. Uh, maybe it's finding ways to love your neighbors, your neighborhood, your community by plugging in and serving on a regular basis somewhere. Uh, maybe it's um, committing to um, not speak poorly about other people um, where maybe that's just an ongoing struggle. What are, what are some specific things, specific ways in which you could enter into the work that God is doing in your life that to embrace the fact that verse 6 is true for you and God invites you into that process? There's a phrase as we wrap up that's repeated twice in our passage, and it's the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul uses it as a time marker where God's work is going to be complete on that day in verse 6. And then as a day where we will stand before the Lord in verse 10. And that's a real day, a real time that will happen where Jesus will return and we will all stand before him. And there is one way that we can stand before him in confidence that we will be complete and mature in him. And that's if we give ourselves to Jesus. Because when we entrust ourselves to Jesus, it is no longer our resume that stands, but it's his resume that stands. And it's as though we're putting on the clothes that Jesus wears. And so when we stand before the Father, we are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And all of our sins have been cleansed completely. And so we can actually stand in confidence on the day of the Lord when he comes again. Uh, But to not choose that is to choose to stand with your own resume before the Lord. Rather than the the perfect righteous robes of Jesus, it's to wear your own robes. And the honest question that you have to wrestle with is, um, is my resume enough? Uh, Is my righteous robes enough? Have I done enough to stand? Um, Jesus... The righteous one, the one who has guaranteed that the work that he starts in you, he will bring to completion, offers himself to you this afternoon. And so as we begin this series, thinking about the joy that we find in the Lord, would you start by offering yourself to Jesus this afternoon? Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the good news that you